Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL 103.9 FM, 1450 AM, and 101.9 FM in Concord, Manchester, and everywhere in between. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Hill. Chris, welcome back from a deserved Thanksgiving break. And a delicious Thanksgiving break. At least mine was. I hope yours was, and everyone listening as well. I'll tell you what's a little less delicious. The emerging news of Omicron. I, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know if there's any other word, but uh, to yet another variant, yet another area of concern for all of us. Just when we thought we were out, it keeps sucking us back in. And of course, the markets tumbled on the news that there is now a variant of concern. So what does all of this tell us from an investing and markets and business standpoint? So let's start with the good news. Because, I, yes, this was disappointing news to get, both for investors, but uh, for the public at large. Um, the good news is we are not nearly in the same position we were in in the spring of 2020. We have vaccines. We have a lot of vaccinated people, uh, including people who have been boosted as well. So we're much better in terms of being able to deal with this latest variant of COVID-19. From a market standpoint, um, it's a reminder that the old adage, the market hates uncertainty, really holds up. Um, Not every stock market old adage does, but that one really does because there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And that's why we're seeing over the last few days, the market drop some. Um, People are guessing, even though we have scientists saying, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have enough data to make more informed Uh, announcements about what this means. Um, There's a little bit across every industry, there's a little bit of um, disagreement uh, among, well, you know, you have some people saying, well, it's time to go back into the stay at home stocks. And other people saying, nah, uh, that's not necessarily the case. And they're not nearly as cheap as they were 18 months ago. So I, I think more than ever, This is one of those times uh, for investors when you want to look at the stocks that you're owning and think to yourself, okay, do I feel good about these businesses, you know, regardless of this variant? How am I feeling? Um, Because I think um, this is a a good time for investors to uh, focus even more on quality businesses with a long track record of success. If you are the kind of person who maybe does take a little bit more of a short to medium term view or just likes to keep up with the business news as a way of kind of keeping sane and keeping a barometer on on where things are going. What I hear you saying is this recent fall in the markets isn't necessarily a reflection of people baking in bad news or bearish expectations for the future yet. It's more a reflection of, hey, 
we don't we don't like change. It's sort of like a rabbit in the middle of a field catching wind of anything or seeing any kind of a shadow. It's like something has changed. I don't like that. And I'm not going to be happy until I know exactly what's going on. Exactly. And I'll just add to that. It comes against the backdrop of a year in which the S&P 500 has hit a new high on more than 50 occasions. So the people with the short to medium term time horizon that you talked about, they work on Wall Street, they're managing hedge funds and institutional funds, and they are looking to make their quarterly numbers. So they're going to sell some stocks that they've made gains off of and lock in those gains. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's not like they've had exactly a bad year unless they're bears for some reason. So speaking, (laughs) but, you know, speaking of reading the tea leaves, I wonder what you make of a different data point that emerged just this week. I mean, just, just kind of hot off the presses and whether it's a sign of something a little bit more fundamental and baked in that investors really should be watching, which is for the first time ever, Cyber Monday sales fell compared to the previous year. Is that more a sign of concern or or what do you read into that? Um, It's a great headline. And I understand why people are writing that headline in part because it's true. Um, We also saw a a dip in uh, Black Friday sales year over year. Um, But in both cases, we're talking about basically 1%, 1 1.5% drops. Um, I I think it's actually a sign of um, how, I I don't want to say Cyber Monday and Black Friday don't matter anymore, um, because I don't think that's true. What I do think is their influence is diminishing. Um, More people are getting smarter about doing their holiday shopping. They're doing it in more ways. They're doing it earlier. They're spreading it out. We've seen the businesses respond to the point where businesses that used to put, um, you know, if we're, if we're going to use a Las Vegas example, they're putting all of their chips on Black Friday promotions. This year, we really saw a lot of retailers push those out even earlier in November. So it's... Um, It's not concerning, and I will just add the word, yet. It's not concerning yet because the real report card that we get from the retail industry is going to come in January when Walmart, Target, Costco, Amazon, all the others, they tell us like, okay, here's how we did over the holidays. Um, Right now, what we're seeing with Cyber Monday and Black Friday looks like a speed bump. And you had already cited on this show two weeks ago the fact that in the lead up to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, retail spending was up. And so maybe this is a sign of people shifting some of their behavioral spending holiday patterns, either in a recognition that, hey, you know, opportunities are going to be there in a, in, a, in a wider window throughout the season, or we've all been hearing about supply chain problems. And I know, I don't know about you, but I was reading like, hey, do your holiday shopping early, get it in. You can look, I needed a new iPhone and I went ahead and got it ahead of Cyber Monday, Black Friday. And guess what? It is lost in the ether. It has not arrived. Tim Cook, where's my iPhone? But anyway, it, I mean, it sounds like that so far could be what's going on. But you won't be so sanguine if we see a dip in January especially given how much cash people have. I, yeah, I think the cash, I think the um, 
the forecast that we got, particularly from Doug McMillan, the CEO of Target uh, of Walmart, and Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, um, both of them signaling, uh, we've got our supply chains worked out, our shelves are going to be stocked, um, it's going to be a robust holiday for our businesses. Um, those are experienced CEOs with great track records. They don't really blow smoke. And so it, it's going to be a real surprise if either one of them come out in January um, with the news that it, it wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be. What do you make of the latest march to the top of conquering every last thing in the universe from Amazon? Amazon shipping business, and I got this news from you, Amazon shipping business is apparently, according to Chris Hill, on pace to surpass UPS and FedEx, making it the biggest shipper in the US. So they're the biggest store, they're one of the biggest streaming services, they're the, obviously the biggest cloud computing service. They're, they own everything. Reactions? I, I mean, should we, should, are we allowed to say anything negative about this? Like, Will will like a Black Hawk helicopter show up over my house, and SEAL Team Seven will fast rope down to shut me up if I say something negative about Amazon? I hope not. I mean, that is <laughs> that would be surprising and horrific. Um, no, this comes from Dave Clark, who's an executive at Amazon. He, he gave an interview where he was talking about sort of the way that they have consistently invested in shipping, um, and uh, I. Here's here's a word that um, that pops to mind for me when I think about what Amazon has done with shipping, and the word is impressive, um, because if you go back eight years, 2013, Amazon had a really bad holiday season. 2013 was the year that Amazon had to um, provide a lot of refunds for their customers, for people who had just signed up for the Prime service. Um, they were sending out gift cards, and it was all to make up for the fact that the things that people ordered from Amazon did not show up on time. Um, and so Amazon, that was really a turning point for Amazon, which was already starting to dip its toe in the shipping waters. Um, that was a turning point where they said, all right, we really need to own the last mile. And there were plenty of smart people on Wall Street saying, why is Amazon building out their shipping? This is what FedEx and UPS do for a living. Just partner with them, stick with the people who know it, and invest your money elsewhere. Um, so I, it's impressive that Amazon um, stuck with and methodically built up their shipping business. It, it should bode well for people who are ordering things from Amazon. Um, I don't know what this means for FedEx and UPS, um, because I think that uh, there, there is a version of the future where Amazon shipping essentially becomes its own standalone business and competes even more directly um, with FedEx and UPS. I guess that does kind of that does kind of hit on sort of the larger question of the importance of sort of all businesses thinking about the technological interface through which they're meeting their customers on the front end. And then that last mile, getting the deliverable to the customers on the back end. Because you made a comment on this show months ago that I found, it was just a jaw dropper, which was Domino's sees itself now as a technology company. 
they have really invested to their to their credit, to their stocks credit. They're, they've really invested on the front end in the technological interface to make it seamless and easy for customers to shop with them. That seems to be a major comparative advantage against all of their competitors in this space. And it sounds like maybe that last mile is becoming sort of like the, the killer app in a world where, you know, we're, we're not going to bricks and mortar nearly as much. We've begun to depend on things getting delivered to us. Is this sort of the, the battleground of, of, of companies in the future to really make sure that they have secure supply chains that go all the way to the absolute end of the line into the customer's hands? I think it is, but I, I will just counter that slightly by pointing to a business like Target. Walmart has done this as well. But I, I, what Target has done over the last year and a half is amazing to me. The way in which um, not only have they improved their online shopping experience, but they've done it to the point where um, if you and I know this because I've, I am now someone who signed up with Target. I've got an account with Target and Amazon is my default, but um, Target is, a, is an increasingly close second because Target has the ability to tell me right off the bat, they have such good control over their industry uh, inventory. They're able to tell me right off the bat, we don't have it at the location closest to you, but we do have it at these other locations. Would you like this delivered to your home or do you want to order it and reserve it and you can come pick it up anytime in the next few days? Um, that's something that Target is able to do that at the moment, Amazon is not able to do. They've got the lockers and, you know, the, but uh, personally, and I'm a, a shareholder of both these companies, I just like the, uh, the in-store option that I get from Target more than the, you can go to this warehouse and, and, and visit an Amazon locker and it'll be waiting for you there. Interesting. So you could take a strategy of trying to compete on that front end interface with customers instead of competing on the back end, which it seems like Amazon is going to dominate. Let's just all bow down. All hail Amazon. Speaking of another sort of corporate titan, at least this one in the social media space, Jack Dorsey resigned as Twitter CEO. Does this matter? Do we care? Do investors care? Chris Hill should I care? Um, investors absolutely care because something happened with um, Twitter's stock that I found um, both fascinating and illuminating. And that is when the news broke Monday morning that Jack Dorsey was leaving as CEO, the stock skyrocketed. It spiked 15% before the market opened. And shortly after the market opened, it was up that. And within a couple of hours, the stock was flat. And, and it was one of those situations, Matt, where people, some, you know, some activist investors who own a decent chunk of Twitter stock have been agitating for a while now. Like, look, Jack Dorsey is no longer the person to run this company. He needs to go because Jack Dorsey is also the CEO of Square. And I can promise you, Square shareholders are not complaining about having Jack Dorsey as their CEO because that stock has been amazing the last few years, whereas Twitter's stock is only slightly above where it IPO'd um, a decade or so ago. So um, Twitter replaced Jack Dorsey um, with their chief technology officer. Um, I suppose there is an argument to be made that having an experienced in-house person take over um, is the right move. And maybe it's a short-term move, um, but 
this is a business that needs a change of direction. If you think back to when Steve Ballmer, the longtime CEO at Microsoft, stepped down, Satya Nadella took over as the new CEO. And within six months, it was clear he was taking Microsoft in directions that Steve Ballmer had not previously taken them. That may prove to be the case with Twitter's business. But right now, this continues to be, from a media standpoint and an information standpoint, a very important business that is not rewarding shareholders at all. Interesting. I have such mixed feelings about Twitter. But of course, I joined the rest of the universe in having such mixed feelings about Twitter. And I find it, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to root for. I don't know, I don't know who to feel good about in any story involving Twitter. Speaking of having <laughs> mixed feelings, I see through you, Chris Hill. I know, I know, I'm on to you. I know what you're, what you're angling for here because you suggested to me before we went on the air today that there is a business lesson to be drawn from the New England Patriots. Now, look, <laughs> I live in New England and I am not a Patriots fan. That's okay. You can, you can football cancel me. I don't care. I am not a Patriots groupie or whatever, but you insist to me that this is worth talking about because there is something to be learned for business and investing in the story of the Patriots. All right, go ahead, lay it on me. So we've talked a lot about uh, part of the mindset investors need to have is a long-term mindset. It's the most rewarding. The longer you can hold on to a great business, the more it's going to reward you. That doesn't mean there aren't rough periods that you'll go through as an investor, as a longtime Starbucks shareholder. It didn't make me all that happy in 2020 when in the span of just a couple of months, the stock went from $90 a share to about $55 a share. You know, that's painful to look at, um, but it, it rebounded. In the same way, Patriots fans know where I'm going with this. What an amazing 20-year run with Tom Brady. Uh, last season, not great, missed the playoffs, um, but then they retooled that Bill Belichick did what Bill Belichick does, which is figure out ways to innovate. And, and in all seriousness, I mean, some of the traits that made the Patriots a great organization um, are traits that at The Motley Fool we like to see in businesses. Um, you've got an owner in uh, Mr. Kraft who uh, is involved, but not super hands-on. He, he is helping to steer the ship. There's experienced leadership with Bill Belichick and his staff. Um, and there is an emphasis throughout the organization on constantly trying to get better. Uh, you know, think back to when Brady was playing there. As great as Brady was, he was still focused on getting better. So was Belichick. Um, Mac Jones, uh, much to your chagrin, Mac Jones looks like he is cut from the same cloth. He is smart, he is hardworking, and he is constantly looking to improve and innovate what he does. So um, those are businesses that tend to reward people. Uh, and clearly, the New England Patriots are the type of sports organization that rewards their fans. Look, you make a compelling case. And you've <laughs> talked on this show before about the fact that leadership matters. Culture matters. It's intangible. We always talk about that in football too, the intangibles. I mean, it's a little intangible. It's a little ineffable, but it matters. 
And there is a real quantifiable value that people get out of those kinds of elements. All right, I buy your case about the Patriots. What you have not sold me on is the value of Starbucks. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was getting people to accept that they should drink burnt coffee, burnt blackened coffee out of cups that say hail Satan on them. At least that's my interpretation of it. And I'm sticking to it. Have you ever had Tim Horton's coffee? I, I'm a Green Mountain kind of guy. Or okay. just get me a good New York City diner. Honestly, like a- anything but the burnt swill that, that comes out of Seattle. But we're going to have to leave it there. We are all out of time. Chris Hill, thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs>